Come on. Quick ask before we get started today, I am working to help people lead happier and more contented lives. My part of that is money. So if you enjoyed today's episode or if you've enjoyed past episodes, please take a minute and leave a quick review on iTunes. Subscribe. That helps uh, the show climb up the rankings and helps more people uh, find it. So thanks a lot. Derek Wynn is the lead consultant at the Business Benefits Group. He is the co-founder of Distilled Concepts. He's been recognized as a rising star in advising by EBA Magazine. He is a contributor to numerous outlets and now finally a guest on the Money Savage Maximized podcast. Welcome, Derek. Thank you, George, for having me. And this is George Grumbacher, and it is time to go. Derek, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. I'm happy to do so. So my personal life is, uh, you know, an interesting one in terms of how I've gotten to where I am today, especially in this industry. So I used to teach high school. I was a high school teacher for several years. I left that and went into the wholesale insurance realm. And for near the last nine years, I've been with the business benefits group as a benefits consultant. Uh, that usually takes up the bulk of my day. And then in my personal time, I spend it with my wife, kids, and all of the critters on our hobby farm. Nice. So when you say hobby farm, what are we talking about? You know, it's it's a funny story. It seems like many birthdays when I come home, there's something else there for me as a gift. And my <laughs> wife affectionately refers to them as a me gift for her. So it started off with chickens. Uh, so we have, of course, our chickens. And then I grew into bees. Uh, and then we've got our dogs and, of course, our kids too. Okay. Well, a lot to keep you busy, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Yes, sir. So we want to talk about some of the problems that are facing organizations and um, so the actual organizations themselves, employers, and then employees themselves. What are some of the problems that that, that, that you're looking to solve? You know, so the, the biggest one is just surrounding the affordability of healthcare. You know, like that's the first part of it. Because when you start to tie it all together, you mean you talk about the huge strain it's putting on stagnating wages, uh, the ability for a company to grow, the ability for a company to retain employees, and then just the ability for employees on their own to be able to, to thrive in an era of rising deductibles and healthcare costs. So, you know, it all ties together because so many of these things are creating barriers toward their future financial goals as well. Yeah, it's a pretty, it's such a trite thing to say, but it, it, it is a pretty crazy thing when you look at the costs, the rising costs of healthcare, and I don't really see an end in sight necessarily, and the answer a lot, for a long time was, well, just just increase the deductible. So now we're at 500, 1,000, 5,000, you know? Um, and so people certainly, it seems like we're not able to afford to retire we can't save for retirement, and then really everything in between. Um, but if, if you would tell us a little bit about that sort of uh, is how the the thought process on deductibles has changed, or just I, I, I guess deductibles in general. I think I think it's an interesting conversation because I think it's starting to change because we've kind of gotten to this point where it's like, wow, how can people continue to go down this path? You know, you think about the statistics that are out there and I hate statistics, but simplifying it down, 
more than half of Americans are enrolled in a plan where they have $1,000 or more as far as the deductible expense. So the deductible is the amount of money you have to pay out of pocket first before the insurance kicks in. And I'm not even talking about out-of-pocket maximums, which could be over $7,000 today for just one person. So you couple that, the fact that more than half of people are enrolled in a plan like that, along with the fact that less than half of Americans have $1,000 in their savings account. I mean, those two items combined create a circumstance where, you know, the average American at that point is on a high deductible health plan with less than $1,000 in their savings account. That could easily be one ER visit away or one hospital stay away or one catastrophic or chronic illness away from financial ruin. So I think it's kind of gotten to this point where people are saying, well, wait a second, hang on. What has the industry told me to do in the past? And is it actually working for me? So good example, you know, HSAs can be a great tool when properly deployed. I've been on an HSA now for going on nine years, right? I like it. It works for me. I understand how it works, but it's not right for everybody. The problem is, is what the industry has done is the industry has said, hey, we just have to nip this problem in the bud of we need to have employees have skin in the game. And all of a sudden your healthcare costs are going to reduce. Well, that's not the case. It doesn't work like that. Right. So people are starting to wise up to the fact that higher deductibles, things like wellness programs, right, those sorts of things don't always actually produce results. Right. I don't <laughs> just just because you started the program doesn't mean that that it's absolutely going to work. It's not a set it and forget it. It's 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 not a silver bullet. Right. There's bingo. There's a lot more work that needs to go into it than simply putting something in place and then and then never looking at it ever again. And that's it seems like there's been so much talk and I'm sort of sick about hearing the word. I'm sick of hearing the word wellness. I'm, I guess to a degree, I'm glad that a lot of people are talking about it. So it's sort of moving towards the front of our brains instead of not being there at all. Um, so what do we do to actually start changing some behaviors? I think it's a couple of different things. You know, I, th- I think the first part of it really starts with getting employees to understand that that sometimes they have to trust but verify. You know, in other words, I need to do a little bit of this on my own. I can't just go to a network directory, look someone up and and expect them to one be in my plan and two be the best doctor out there. Like that's the first part of it. Um, you know, the other part of it too though is that employers for the most part They want to do really good for their employees. They really want to do a good job for them and give them all the resources in the world because they want to retain them. I mean, they want these employees to retire with the company. So the way they go about doing that sometimes, what they want to be doing is they want to be looking at it in the sense of the whole person. So, I mean, think about this and you think about your show and what your mission is. Think about the example of where you've got two employees both working for the same company. Both of them have the same health plan. One of them is a really good person when it comes down to money. And they also happen to be fortunate because they're in good health. So this person is not only taking full advantage of you know, saving money, but at the same time, they're not spending money on health care. The other employee is in a situation where maybe they haven't made as many of good uh, money moves. Maybe they aren't investing. Maybe they're an overspender. But at the same time, they have a chronic condition. You know, the question for that employer is, 
which one of these two employees do you think is going to be first to leave your company? The one that's financially secure and stable and happy or the one that is essentially in a position of saying, you know what? I wonder if life would be better if I could make 2% more elsewhere to pay for my illness, to pay for my lifestyle, to pay for whatever it may be. And I'm not saying those two things go together all the time. All I'm saying is, is that employers should not only give their employees a paycheck and give them a great health plan, but show them how to use all of that in unison. And that makes all the sense in the world, right? And that's unfortunately a huge reality for so many employers. I don't really care what industry it's in, but yes, if somebody is compromised financially and, or even if they're not, they if they feel like they're in a situation where the company doesn't really care about them and they get an offer for, you know, 3%, 5%, 8% more, they're probably going to go to that other company versus if they were at a company that was at least trying and making an effort to engage them and they felt like that company did have a vested interest in helping them to become successful, whatever they were trying to be successful in, then they're probably going to retain that person. Absolutely. I mean, you think about all the proud moments in someone's life. I mean, it's it's really proud. It makes you feel really proud as an employer when you have an employee that has the excitement of buying their first home or an employee who has the excitement of, you know, getting married and actually paying for the wedding and being able to take a honeymoon. But at the same time, there's a lot of employees who just aren't getting that experience. There are employees that don't have the experience of paying off their student loans. And that's actually delaying a number of those really nice life events. You know, they, they're too they're too laser focused on debt um, to be able to do those types of things. So again, you know, you talk about that from an employer's perspective, you know, the question for employers are, it would be, you know, what else can you be doing to be able to help your employees before not financially stable, not just by giving them a retirement plan, not just by giving them a health plan, not just giving them a paycheck, but showing them how to use it all. And while this is a lot and it is, it's not an easy thing. It's, I I also, I also wonder if it's not that hard. It's not that tough to put together for lack of a better term, just a, a, a put put together a plan or a program that says, over the next twelve months, here are the really important things that we want to be hitting on from an educational standpoint. We want to help our employees with with financial literacy. We want to help them with some diet and exercise programs. We want to, as a company, put together a volunteering program. We want to help them with stress management, and then going and finding resources. And there's so many resources that are available putting the plan in place in advance and then sticking to it and then messaging and sharing this information with employees and reinforcing that, hey, you are the most important thing to the organization. We want you to be successful. We want you to engage with this. Am I, am, am, am I off track on that? No, you're exactly right. I mean, I think it comes back to like something you alluded to a couple of minutes ago, which is, you know, I'll use myself as an example for this. Just because I have a gym membership doesn't mean I'm getting in shape. Like it's, those are two totally different things. There's, there's one part, which is the part, the first step, which is getting the gym membership. And then there's execution that follows every, every day, or at least a few times a week after that to help live up to that objective. So, you know, the way I like to think about it is, 
number one, employers who want to have a more engaged workforce when it comes down to their benefits, you know, the field that they have when they come into the workplace and just be, being proud to be there. You know, that's an ongoing type of a mission or objective. So like I water it down in terms of there's things an employer can do that just simply take time. Mm-hmm. Right. Which which everyone's same complaint is I don't have enough time in the day to do these things. It's the same reason I say I don't work out. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but then at the same time, too, there's other things that take money. What's happened is we've kind of gotten into this phase of, well, let's just tr- let's just keep on treating the problem with more money. Like, let's just keep on doing these things. Let's watch our healthcare premiums continue to go up. Let's just keep on increasing deductibles so that employees have a little bit more skin in the game. Let's keep on increasing our 401k match and maybe people will just magically start to invest more of their own money too. You know, and that's not always the case because the key component that drives everything else is the education part. Because once you can educate people, you can empower them to make the right decisions and then continue to execute from there on moving forward. Got it. Well, I certainly agree with that. It's a, <laughs> I, I, I get a kick out of the idea because it, it's, it's, it's as true for me as it is for everybody else. It's like there's this enormous gap that exists between what I know and what I actually do. So when we talk about helping, helping employees and as an organization doing education, there's so many different ways that we can do that these days with technology is it a matter of trying to incorporate all of them or is it focusing on a couple? Yeah, I think it's got to be a comprehensive approach, right? Because I mean, the average company, how much time do they spend educating employees each year? Generally, it's an hour, right? So you're going to bring all of your employees into a, a meeting room or onto a webinar. We're going to spend a, an hour a year talking at you about how your benefits work. And again, going back to something like a deductible, because this is just a common denominator, something like 72% of Americans can't describe what a deductible is, yet we're telling them that your health plan has one, right? (laughs) So what it needs to be is it needs to be this continual education process. And I I think it can be both ways. So we like to think about it like, number one, what kind of resources can employers put out there, not only in terms of verbal communication, but written communication, video communication, webinars, you name it, right? All of those go into it. But then how can we capture employees at that teachable moment, at that point where they need to go get an MRI, at that point where they they need to go in for a hospital stay at that point where they get an uh, expensive prescription. What are the things we can do to engage with them there? And we have ways to do that. And then the last part of that, too, though, is really getting into the standpoint of having feedback come back to the employer. And we like to do that through a series of micro surveys. So we survey employees throughout the year to get feedback on how do you like your benefits program? Because the research says that an employee who has an even a below average plan, if it's communicated effectively, they'll actually give the plan higher marks than their peer group who has an above average plan that's communicated ineffectively. So it doesn't really matter how good your plan is, which is why I think things like benchmarking just need to go away. Hmm. I want to start to benchmark the actual education that employees are getting with their health plan too. Yeah, I think that that makes all the sense in the world. That's have <laughs> a visual of 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 a human resources professional or whoever is leading the benefits in an organization getting up in front of the a room full of people talking about how 
uh, in the top 90% or the top 1% that their plan is. And it's such a awesome Cadillac type plan and they're so lucky to have it, but the employees have absolutely no idea how it actually works. So, right. Right. Um, okay. Well, I, I appreciate that very much. Um, and from a, from a consumer standpoint, um, are there certain things that you feel like, like, are there certain things that you wish that more people knew, or maybe they had the discipline to, to, to do on a consistent basis that would make them better consumers of benefits? You know, that's interesting question. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's hard to say because here's what I think has happened, which is we've all placed it, placed far too much of our own trust into our health plan or into the healthcare system itself. We all want to trust that our doctor is the best doctor in the world, but newsflash, they probably aren't. Right. Mm -hmm. But we have this amazing tool called a PPO health plan and we can go anywhere. So here's a few things I think employees should consider, which number one, it should be trust, but verify, you know, trust your doctor, but verify that they are the best one for you. Go out and do your research, get a second opinion. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Right. Trust, but verify. The other thing, too, is stop thinking that all of the regular things you do to save money in life, like I was looking at statistics yesterday, I think that 96 million Americans, something like that, have a uh, membership with Costco. <laughs> so we know that we can go to Costco and we can buy things in bulk and it costs less and everything else. Yet for healthcare, because number one, there's very, very little transparency, but also number two, very little uh, you know, incentive for the employee to kind of go that extra mile in most cases, I think that they don't really understand the impact that it has, right? So getting an employee to understand that number one, you know, going to a hospital to get an MRI, well, that's kind of silly. I mean, that's like going to Whole Foods to buy 20 pounds of chicken instead of going to Costco, right? Yeah. Um, like that's one example of that is getting them to really do the math on this stuff and start to realize that number one, it not only impacts you today, but it impacts you down the road as well. Um, you know, you, and that's not even getting into the care that we don't need. You know, like if I go to the doctor and my doctor's answer to take care of whatever the issue is, is, oh, well, we should operate. Well, I'm going to get a second opinion for that. And I've been in that situation before. You know, I've been in the doctor's office where he says, you know, more than half the time we're going to have to do surgery to to fix this issue. You know, I had a herniated disc in my back. I don't like that answer because that doctor isn't giving me any other option. I got a second opinion. The doctor outlined the course of treatment. Here I am three years later, no problems, no surgery. I'm good to go. So getting employees to realize that again, the system itself, people say healthcare is broken. It's actually working very well for the primary stakeholders. You know, it's working very well for doctors and hospitals and insurance companies the way it is today, but getting employees to challenge the system and challenge their doctors and do things. Research shows that patients who ask more questions get better treatment. They're gonna go in and ask their doctor, hey, do, what about this test instead? Or what about this procedure instead? Or, hey, do we really need to do this? If they do those sorts of things, they generally end up getting better treatment. It's the same reason why doctors generally get less treatment is because they ask questions. I love it. I think that is great advice right there. Well, Derek, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? 
I think that's it. I mean, it's it's really again going back to it. You know, what can you do as a consumer to to be your own advocate? That would be my tip. Be your own advocate in everything you do, because if you can do that, now you're in a position of taking control, right? You've got to be your own advocate to take control over the situation. And at the same time, don't hesitate to reach out to other advocates in your life, whether it's your health plan, talk to your HR department to see if there's tools embedded in your health plan to help, but being your own advocate would be number one tip. Well, I think that is great stuff. That definitely gets it. Come on. Come on. And Derek, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Uh, I'm super active on LinkedIn, so you can follow me there. You can also go to our new website uh, for Distilled Concepts at www.distilled-concepts.com. Excellent. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Derek your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Also, go to distilled-concepts.com. Check out all the great stuff they have there, and we'll link to that in the notes of the show. Thanks again, Derek. Thank you, George. Appreciate it. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. Before I go, quick announcement. I've been asked by so many people over the past couple of years about how do I start a podcast that I've developed and released a course that will teach you exactly how to do that step by step from figuring out the kind of show that you want to have to understanding how all the technology works behind it, and then how to get great guests and uh, keep the thing moving and how to grow it. So if you're interested in that, check it out. You can go to georgegrombacher.com forward slash podcast course, and you'll find it there. You can just go to the website. I'll also list that in the notes of the show. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing. Leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on.